Well, I just want you to know that I have been sacrificing for you this week in ways you can't imagine. For the last four days, I have been in Cancun, Mexico. Not done yet. My wife and I, Sarah, we were working. We were filming a wedding down there, some friends of ours. But, um, but I say I was sacrificing because I was trying to, you know, stick with everything, keep busy, do all the stuff we're trying to do out there, and also prepare for it tonight. And so the safest place, or what I thought was the best place to just really get ready for the message and to soak in the word and just prepare, was looking over the beach, right? And so, of course, Sarah joined me because she's in for the tan. That's about it, but that's all right. And so we're sitting there, and an hour and a half later, I get up, and I'm feeling, actually, there was a football challenge down the road, and so I had to go win that real quick. Um, you won't know. You weren't there, so you don't know if I won or not. But anyways, and so, but I, I get done kind of laying out there, and I'm looking over my notes and listening to some music, and then uh, I get back, and all of a sudden, there's this pain that I haven't felt in a long time. You may know what I'm talking about. It's called a sunburn. Now, you can't tell, but my stomach, and I won't show you because I figured that would get inappropriate really quickly. My stomach looks like a fire truck. It is horrible. And so I'm, I got back that night. I'm going, these guys don't even know what kind of sacrifice I have made for them. I'm totally kidding. But we had, we had a great time. But it was funny. While we were down there, um, well, two things happened. First, on the way there, how many of you have ever flown Southwest before? Anybody? Okay, so um, I always heard they had, like, fun stories, and they do some really cool stuff as a company, but I've never really seen it. And so we're on the flight, and the flight attendant's going over the fun part, you know? You know what I'm talking about, where you got to put your headphones out and pretend like you're not listening. And you're, you're trying to pay attention, and they're trying to go over all the safety rules, because if the plane were to go down, it would be good information to know. But since you're more likely to get in a car accident than an airplane accident, most people just tune it off. But anyways, I decided to be a good person and a good Christian, because I was be here with you guys the next couple days. And so I'm listening to this lady, and this woman was funny. I mean, she was funny. Now, I don't remember half of the things she said because it took me a while to, like, realize she was being funny and telling us instruction. But then when I realized she was being funny, I started listening. And I kid you not, she said some hilarious things. But my favorite part was this. She said, um, if, actually, there were two. She said, first, if there is an emergency on the airplane and you need oxygen from above you, this, you know, and they put their hand up and they drop the thing and it's really cool, you know, they practice it. Like this oxygen mask is going to come down and then you need to pull out your credit card and swipe through the Southwest Airlines credit card. And if your card is accepted, oxygen will flow freely. And I thought that is awesome. That is so cool. And then she goes on and she says, and if so happens that this airplane becomes a cruise ship, Underneath your seat, there's a life-saving device, and you can float out of here. And I was like, this woman is, it was really fun. But anyways, that had nothing to do with tonight other than just to share with you some humor. But to go back to the beach for a minute, something did really cool happen while I was there. And that was that as I was sitting on the beach and I'm, I'm getting ready for tonight, it, it dawned on me that it is an amazing privilege that we don't think about very much, that we can truly encounter and worship God anywhere that we go. And that, that is fascinating, guys, that we don't think about it enough. The, the fact that the Holy Spirit, as believers in Christ, has come to make a way for us to commune with the Holy God, no matter where we are, out on the sun, in your car, driving into work, on the, your bed as you're doing your quiet time, wherever you might be, how amazing is it to know that, that God has made a way for us to commune and to worship with him. And that's why we're here tonight. 
We are extending our time of hopefully personal worship that you've been having with the Lord all week to extend into this evening to now gather with other believers and to worship a God who is worthy of that worship. You know, if you remember back when we were in chapter 5, if you remember the instructions that God gave Moses, he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can what? Go into the wilderness and worship. They were going to go sacrifice, have a feast, and it was their act of worship. God saved was this original plan, at least. We're in the middle of the story. But his original plan was to save the people that they might go and worship God. And I want to encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been saved, please don't miss that God has opened up the door for you to worship. And when we worship God, so many things come together. Now, that's for another message for another day. But I just want to encourage you with that. So I thought about that as we were gone. And, uh, but I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm really excited for uh, tonight. We're going to talk about some uh, semi-dark stuff. We're going to talk about the ten plagues that are going to come upon Egypt. And so here's what I want to do tonight. Tonight, I'm just going to give you a kind of a quick overview of all of the plagues, kind of what it looks like, and I'm going to answer four questions throughout the night. And then next week when we come back, I'm going to go through them individually and really kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the symbolism and some of the things that were happening so we could really kind of encompass everything that was taking place. And then that may be one week or two weeks. I'm not sure. We'll have to just get started and find out. But when we're done with that, we're going to then move into a, a week study of the Passover. We're going to look at all that, try to understand it. And then the following week, so either in three, four, or five weeks, I'll leave myself some room so I'm not pressured into anything. In that time frame, we're going to actually have a Seder dinner here together. And so you're going to actually get to experience some of the things that they were doing during the Passover feast. Now that's something we do symbolically, some people now, but it's not something that is required of us. But I think it's going to help us to really experience what was taking place during the Passover. So that's going to be the next few weeks. It's going to be really, really exciting. And I think you're going to see some sides of God that uh, maybe you haven't seen or maybe that we just need to be reminded of. So that's what we're uh, doing. Let's do this. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you so much for this time we have together. Lord, be with us. Speak to us. Uh, allow me to say only the things that need to be said, Lord. I, I pray that as we're sitting here tonight that our hearts are opened, ready to receive your word. And God, we're excited about that. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for Jesus on the cross. Thank you for the tomb that he rose out of, Lord, and making a way for us to be reunited with you. God, may you receive all of our worship tonight. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so four questions I'm going to go over tonight. They're pretty simple, but I want us to understand the plagues because it's possible that you may have never actually studied this. Maybe you've heard about them, maybe you're familiar with them, maybe you've read them, but what I want to do is walk them through. So the first question I'm going to answer tonight is what were the ten plagues, okay? This is a simple one, really easy. What were the ten plagues? So let's go through these. I'm just going to kind of spit fire, and I'm going to tell you where they are in the scriptures, so that way if you want to write that down or you want to make note or highlight in your Bible or your phone or whatever, someone else's Bible, however you want to do that, go for it. But here are the ten plagues. The first plague that we'll see was water turned into blood, and that happened in Exodus 7, 14 through 24. That was the first plague that took place, okay? The second one was frogs. Frogs came up out of the Nile. They were everywhere. You're going to see all that in the coming weeks. It's really exciting. That's Exodus 7, 25, 8 through 50. You can see them on the screen, right? I don't need to tell you the addresses. By the way, address is the scripture reference, just so you know. Number three, now this is interesting. 
Sometimes it's translated gnats, sometimes it's translated lice. We'll dig into that a little bit more next week and kind of try to figure out which one makes the most sense. But that was the third plague. The fourth plague was flies. The fifth plague was death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then death of the firstborn. Okay. Now when you just hear those, if you've never studied this before, never heard of this before, you're kind of going, what in the world's going on? That's perfect because you are totally sucked in and you are ready to hear what's going to come next. Okay. But these were the ten plagues. So they're up on the screen and you can go back there later at the end of the night if you need to write those down quickly uh, and get those. Or you could just turn in your Bible, start in chapter 7 and work your way through the end of 8 and, uh, and then into 9, 10, and 11. All right. Good. Good. All right. So here's the real thing we want to do tonight. Here's the second question, and this is a big one, because these plagues are, they're a little crazy. When you begin to hear this stuff and to kind of understand what was happening, which I'll set up in just a second, you begin to ask yourself the question, did this really happen? Or is this just a good story to scare your kids with, right? Did this really happen? Was it necessary? I mean, what, what's going on here? Why did this take place? Well, let's talk about a few things. Now, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, you know kind of what's unfolded. But in case you haven't, let me catch you up. See, Moses and his brother Aaron have been going and confronting Pharaoh for a little while now. God has sent them on a mission, and he wants, he wants him to approach Pharaoh and ask him to let his people go. Now, who are his people? The people are the people of Israel, but they also go by the name Hebrews. Sometimes they're called Jews. Sometimes they're called the people of God. But all of those names reference this group of people that have been in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. Okay, They were born into slavery, and they have known nothing but slavery since the day they were born. Okay, so this group of people is hurting, they are broken, they are discouraged, they are demoralized, and they definitely don't think that God is really out there for them. They are in a challenging spot. So Moses and his brother Aaron have gone on behalf of those people, directed by God to stand in front of Pharaoh and to ask Pharaoh to let his people go, to let God's people go, the people of Israel. But Pharaoh has numerous times told them no. And so what's going to take place now is that God is going to answer a big question that Pharaoh poses earlier. And he is going to show, God is going to show his power to ensure that this moment will take place. And so this is the, the, uh, the, the progression, if you will, of the ten plagues. And it took ten plagues to finally get his attention. I hate to burst your bubble and tell you what happens at the end, but you probably already knew that. So the first question that we want to deal with is, did the plagues really happen? Did the plagues really happen? Well, there's two things I want to show you inside of this question. First, the plagues were natural and the plagues were supernatural. The plagues were natural and they were supernatural. Now, this is very important. First, let's talk about how they were natural. Do you notice about all of those plagues, was there anything in there that as long as you knew what it was talking about, that you've at least heard of, maybe even seen in your life before? You've seen blood, all right, you've probably seen a fly, maybe if you haven't, I don't know how you did that, let me know because that's awesome. I mean, all of these things are things you've either seen or at least you completely understand, right? Why? Because they are natural. These are natural things in the natural order of the world. Now, do they happen every day all the time? Absolutely not. Some of them are very rare. But nonetheless, these are natural items. On top of that, this going with this thought that they're natural, is they actually, some of them kind of build on each other. For those of you that are science folks, you love proof and you love 
evident. Oh, hold on. And you love evidence. What I'm going to show you, you'll, I'll be fine, don't worry. What I want to show you is that even though there's a supernatural element that we can't miss, we'll talk about in a second, there is also some natural nature scientific elements here that can begin to allow us to grasp how this could be possible. Now, we know they were all natural elements that on their own would not be unheard of. Maybe darkness kind of just overtaking. But even at nighttime, we experience darkness, unless you live in the city, because we light up everything. But the reality is these are things you know. But if you look at the plagues carefully, which we'll do over the coming weeks, you can almost see a progression taking place. So, for example, now again, be careful here. We're just getting ourselves a little bit into the idea that this is absolutely possible. Now, watch this. If the Nile, which was their source of life, had turned to blood, all of the fish in the water would have died, right? Because fish don't make it outside of the water. But what animal could make it outside of the water? A frog, okay? Now careful here, we're just having fun, all right? We're, just ha we're having a little fun tonight. So let's say the Nile turned to blood, all the fish died, but the frogs were able to leap out, okay? So then the frogs get out, a couple different things happen, and then what happens? The frogs die. You may not know that, I didn't tell you. The frogs die, and then they're all dead all over the place, and guess what happens? Bugs, because what happens when things die? Eventually, right? That's why if you have bananas in your house, you got to eat them quickly. Otherwise, you have new friends. They're called fruit flies, right? you got all these problems. And so we could see how a similar progression might have taken place. And then if those, those frogs were all dead and let's just say the infestation grew and the disease grew and it began to spread, we could see how that would then transfer over to the livestock and then transfer over into the people. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not saying that that's exactly what happened, but what I want you to see is that when we look carefully, we can begin to see some natural things that would actually make sense as they began to progress, okay? Natural order. Now, let's have some more fun. Again, we're having fun right now. I'll tell you when we get serious again. Having fun. Theories and ideas. How many of you have ever heard of the Cameron Killer Lake? Raise your hand. The Cameron Killer Lake. Love it. You have? Are you serious? Okay. Pretend like you don't know, all right? So you can be wild with everybody else. Now, again, we're having fun with some theory here. But I want to show you the natural nature of these things. Now, watch this. And uh, it was, a eight, I think it was 1986, somewhere around that time frame, there was a lake in Africa. What happened was, and the lake was right next to a couple of villages. So there was about, you know, a couple thousand people around in this vicinity. What happened in this lake was there was a carbon monoxide buildup underneath the water. You've heard about this? All right, relax, you'll be all right. Don't have a heart attack. As the carbon dioxide, I said, as the carbon dioxide built up, guess what color the lake turned? Yes. Wow, y'all are so. It actually turned red. And then the carbon dioxide continued to build, continued to build, and finally, it actually shot through the surface of the lake. When it shot up through the surface, it stayed very, very low, and it spread throughout the region around that lake. What happened next was fascinating. One day later, the people of the village woke up, and those that were sleeping low or on the ground, every single one of them was killed. 1,700 people and what they predict was a 20-second burst 
of carbon dioxide killed over 1,700 people. What it did was suffocated them in their sleep. Dark. It is. And it was very scary for these people because no one could understand it. Because the people that either slept high or lived right up the mountain came down the next day. The air was gone. It had evaporated. Everything was fine. But they found all of these people to be dead. Now, why am I telling you this? Because here's the thing. You're going to notice when we get closer to the end that there's going to be this moment where God's going to come through. Or God is going to send a moment to happen where all of the firstborn of Egypt are to be killed. Y'all heard this before? This is the final plague, the tenth plague. Now watch this. This is really interesting. Okay, again, we're having fun with theory, but I want to show you this. Where do, if you didn't know this, where do the firstborn children of Egyptian people live? Now remember the firstborn was the one that got all the goods. They got all the possessions, all the land, all the honor. The firstborn kid was the best. If you're a firstborn, firstborn congratulations. You are the best. I am too. That was free, by the way. In Egypt... If you were a firstborn child, particularly a firstborn son, you slept on the ground or right on these very, very low beds in the house with your parents. And all the other kids, guess where they slept? On the roof. They slept on the roof. So what someone was trying to show and what I want to kind of transfer just a fun nature thought to you is that let's just say, putting a little bit of science behind the plagues, let's say that it was a carbon dioxide moment that made the water red, then shot up and then spread out across the ground. It would have killed the livestock first, right? All the small animals, all the livestock that ate the grass, it would have taken them out, which happened in this village as well. And then it would have taken out all of the people that were low to the ground. That would have been the firstborn sons. And then someone would probably ask, well, what about the people of Israel because they were sleeping in the same area, right? But what were they doing at midnight when the plague took place? They were enjoying the Passover meal, the Seder meal, which we'll mimic in a few weeks. They would have been sitting up by God's command with their sandals on, ready to go. Now, I say this to you just for fun. It's for theory. But what it does is it probes our mind to stop thinking of these things as unbelievable, unheard of, could never really happen, probably just a fairy tale story. And what it does is it puts a little bit of truth behind possibility. The first thing I want to show you in this question of did it really happen is, is these plagues were natural. These plagues make sense how God would use his creative order and power to bring all this together. The second side of this though is that these plagues were supernatural. The fact that all of these took place, when they took place, how they took place, is beyond our own human understanding. And this is important because we have to be reminded that the God we are serving is not a God that can be scienced out. That you could just make sense of everything and it, because you know what would happen if we did that? His power would be diminished. He would just be a bunch of facts that make sense. God has to have some sort of supernatural power to prove that he is not a God, but the God. 
not only does he need to show that power for that proof that who he is, his identification, but it's also for you and I. Because listen, when you're facing a problem and someone says, man, if you walk with God, he's going to help you get through that, but you don't believe there's any kind of power that God has more than anybody else, you will never believe or trust that he can walk you through the darkness. And this is another point of this understanding. Our God is a supernatural God that does things that we can't explain or fully understand. But the beauty of it is he shows his power by not doing un unbelievable things that we couldn't even understand because we've never seen before. But rather he takes things that we can begin to slowly get a grasp of and then does something supernatural with them. See, this is really fascinating and it's extremely important for you and I. Because the reality is, our minds, our human minds, need a little bit of both. Our minds need a little bit of both. It gives us great confidence, not doubt, when we could hear some understanding of how these plagues could have taken place. But then it gives us great confidence in God's power to see that there's still a supernatural side to this. And this is so important for you and I as we begin to walk through life. Now there's something else that happened that I think is, uh, is very important. If you remember, and back in chapter 7, it said this, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. After the first couple plagues, the magicians of Egypt's day were able to step out and mimic the very things that Moses and his brother Aaron were able to do. Now that's a problem. That poses kind of a problem, right? I thought you said, Chad, that God was supernatural, all-powerful, that nothing, and I did say that, but we got to understand this. Now watch this. Now people have tried to written, it off, written this off in a couple ways. I'm going to tell you the one way this is the only way, and this is the truth, and it might scare you, but it's the reality. This is Satan. Let that sink in for a second. I'll back up for a moment, and I'll say this again. This is the power of Satan. 2 Thessalonians says this, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Guys, you need to understand this. Satan does have power. And it says right here, signs, wonders, false signs, of course, and wonders, Satan is able to do and do through people some of the things that God can do. By evidence, we'll see this in the coming of the plagues in the first couple. Satan has, and we don't like this thought. We don't want Satan to have any power. We want him to just be some weak being, but this is the reality. How could someone engulf almost the entire world to follow him when there's a loving God that has tried to engage us? How is it possible? Because he has power. But here's the reality, and here's what you need to hear. Don't weep about this. Satan is a created being, created by God as an angel who then fell out of heaven, was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be God, though he never could be. Satan has power, but it's limited. And you'll see that as the plagues unfold. The magicians, through the power of Satan, were able to mimic a couple of them, but eventually they got to a point where they couldn't do it anymore. Why? Because God is all-powerful. But listen, folks, why did you say that? You're scaring us, Chad. Why are you talking about Satan? There was no need for that. Just stick to the plague. Because I want to be honest with you. I don't want you to walk around life and think that everything's going to be easy. 
got this because Satan's not out to get you. Yes, he is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a threat to Satan. What a terrible night to come to underground. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a threat to Satan. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ that just sits in a chair on Thursday nights and maybe on Sunday you don't do anything with that power that God's given you, you're not really a threat and that's probably why God, Satan's not messing with you. But if you are out in the world living for God, living for the kingdom, following his purpose and his plan and trying to live for him, you are a threat to Satan. You better believe he's going to be coming for you. Now, doesn't that excite you? And like its own sick way? Like, come on, Satan. Start with her. But come on. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Like, come on. Bring it up. Why? How in the world could something so scary excite us? Well, I understand it may not excite you yet. And I hope that that, that, will, that thought will grow on you. But the reality is this. If Satan is a created being with limited power, bring it on. Because I got the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of me, the same power that you've heard this before, that raised Christ from the dead, is the same power that lives in you and I. So send me out in the world so that I can represent the Lord. Put me on the front line because I'm ready. I want him to be honored. And I know Satan, he'll mess with me. But at the end of the day, I know who wins. I've read ahead. I know what's going to happen. And that same truth is for you. And so look, as we're looking at this, you begin to go, well, the magicians were able to do that. That's crazy. Why would, that, why would God let that happen? Because God lets Satan have a little bit of leash. A little bit of leash. But eventually, he'll yank it back, and that time will be done, and he will be finished forever. All right? And so this is the reality, though. I could pass all that up and make you feel good and leave here, and then you'll get mad at me later and go, I thought you said this was going to be easy. That's not going to be easy. And it, here's the thing, listen, I know this hurts. We've said this before. If Satan's not messing with you, you're not a threat. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You process that how you desire. So I remember we were doing the Kingdom Man series. I still think about this quote that Tony Evans said. Is that I want to wake up every morning and Satan goes, oh, crap, he's up. I mean, isn't that awesome? That's, I don't know about you, you may not think that way, but that's, and maybe I'm a little more aggressive, I, I, you know, I don't know. But I, I love that thought. I want to be in that mix. That's what I want. And so here we are, we're looking at these plagues and we're seeing that they are supernatural because God has all power and he can take all things and do whatever he wants. But we know that Satan is there and we know that Satan has a little bit of power, but it is limited because God is in complete control. Here's the third question I want to show you. We only got four, so two more. Who did the plagues affect? Now this is an interesting question. Who did the plagues actually affect? Now, who are the characters right now? You have Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king over the Egyptian people. And then you have the Israelites. You have three, basically two groups of people and one person. But these are the main characters in our story. So if the Israelites are God's people, God's chosen people who he's trying to bring out of slavery, he is confronting Pharaoh to get his people out of slavery, you would think that the Israelites, they were good. They were shielded, guarded from all these plagues, and nothing would have affected them, but that would actually not be true. The first three plagues hit the Israelites just like it hit the Egyptians, as best as we can tell. But starting at plague four, God began to, if you will, symbolically build a wall around the people to protect them so that Egypt would know when you mess with them, you mess with me, almighty God. Now, this is really, really important. Now, I'm going to, first I'll give you a truth that's a, a bit stretched, but I think it's important for where we are because something happened out there that made me think of this. 
if we stretch this a little bit, because we know that the people of Israel were not there by choice. But let's just say for a moment, the people of Israel were hanging around the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were messing around, getting in trouble, and they got punished. Guess what? The people that were with them got punished as well. Okay, maybe you see where I'm going with this. You've heard this your whole life, I hope. But your company determines your future. You get this? Your company determines your future. So, when you're hanging around with a bunch of bozos, and they get in trouble, and you get in trouble too, because you're, officer, I didn't do it, I was just standing here next to them while they did it, hello. Now again, we're stretching this story a little bit, but I feel like it's a, just a good season for us to throw out that reminder and encouragement to you. Because guys, listen. I know the idea of like we want to be out there and we want to be ministering to people. We want to be encouraging people to come to church and become Christians. And I am all for that. But listen, there is a difference between being friends and community partners with people that are not of the faith. And people more importantly that are following down the wrong path. Versus having acquaintances that we're constantly praying for and reaching out to in hopes that we could show them a little bit of the light of the Lord. There's a big difference. And so I, I, again, it was a bit of a stretch. But I just felt like it was just a moment to... Throw that out there. So let's move on. Here's the big point. Three plagues hit the Israel people. Then on the fourth one, God built this barrier and this wall. Watch this. When you were, or before you came to Christ, you were a part of a sinful world. I don't know how bad your life was, your story, your history is irrelevant, but all of us were chasing down the wrong thing. All of us were pursuing the wrong things. And guess what? We experienced all the things that that come with. But when we found Christ, Christ now puts this hedge of protection around us. Eliminating us. Now we know we're imperfect. But he eliminates us from the, the pain and the punishment. This is what Easter was all about. He eliminates and protects us from those things. When we become believers, we are now Guarded by God Almighty. Now, does that mean life still happens and bad things? Yeah, of course those things still happen. But the reality is we are guarded and protected by Almighty God. That is what salvation brings. What a marvelous thought. And we just get that picture, that symbolic picture, as we're watching the people of Israel first experience a few of those plagues. Because you got to remember, they needed, um, I'll say that for a minute. They needed to hear this too, but I'll, I'll move on. They are protected. They are guarded to remind you and I that this is what life is. And if you're walking in here and you're not a believer yet, let me just encourage you to consider this. Okay? If today was the end, if this was the last day of your life for whatever reason, however that was, again, I don't mean to scare you. Again, terrible night to be here. I'm sorry. But if this was, what would that future for you look like? Because if you are not in Christ, you are not protected by Almighty God. The blood of Jesus, and that's symbolic, does not cover you. We're open for the taking. Okay, let me move to the fourth one, and I'll say what I was trying to say earlier. This is the last question. Why did the plagues happen? Why did the plagues happen? First, it's a response to Pharaoh. Exodus 5.2. Here's what Pharaoh says. This is a great question because we have the same question still today. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Have you ever said that in your life before? None of you have, right? None of you have ever questioned that thought. Why in the world should I obey 
God. First point here to understand, the plagues happen in response to that question of Pharaoh and him not allowing the people to go free. God wanted him to see, stand face to face against God Almighty to prove that God had the power over him. The second thing is, God is destroying the 80 plus, 80 plus different Egyptian gods that they worshipped at this time. Okay, listen, some of y'all are like, I'm trying to have, I'm just trying to worship one God here and stay faithful how did they do 80 gods? How do they even remember their names? How did they keep up? I don't have the answers. That's part of the problem. It's a broken system. But there were 80 different gods at this time. And what our God, the God, is going to do is he's going to demolish all of them through these plagues. He's going to take the very things that give them their name and he's going to rework them for his glory. This is fascinating. So in the first, the plague one and two, it's all about the gods of the Nile. The gods of the Nile. From, uh, let's see, from three to six, it's all about the gods of the land. And then from seven to the end, it's all about the gods of the sky. In all of these plagues, he's going to take these gods, he's going to flip them upside down, and he's going to show them and the people that they have no power, that our God is the God, period. Now I'll just show you one. We'll look at the rest of these in the weeks to come. But I'll show you one. There's a God of the Nile. And I'll say it because I don't know if it was a he or she. I don't know how they did this. But its name was Happy. H-A-P-I for the record. The God's name is Happy. Now, the Nile, if you remember us talking about this, the Nile was the lifeblood of the people of Israel. It is where all of their crops came because as the water rushed up, it would leave fertile soil for things to grow. That was how they made a living. It was their source of life. They worshiped the Nile because without the Nile, they truly had nothing. Someone told this example one time. I thought it was really good. When you think of Americans and you ask someone that's a foreigner outside of our country that doesn't live here, most of the time they'll say, what do you think of when you think of Americans? They'll say freedom. There's a freedom we experience in our country that most countries don't get to experience. People say, when you ask people of Egypt, what's one word that comes to mind when you think of Egypt? They say, the Nile. The Nile, the Nile. It was the lifeblood. So the God happy was one of the top gods because as long as the God of prosperity, the God happy, the God of the Nile, as long as he was being worshipped and they were making sacrifices for him, everything was good. This is why when God began to take these plagues, and take the items that these gods stood on and flip them upside down. He proved that their power was actually nothing. When he took the Nile and turned it from water into blood, he told the God happy, hey, I'm going to flip you upside down and we'll see how you last floating in the blood. Because it's not water anymore because you don't have power. I have all the power in the world. Isn't that cool? That's just one. He, God is going to do this all the way through the place, taking these people and flipping them, these gods and flipping them upside down. God is destroying all of these people. And then finally, God is reminding the people of Israel who he is. Remember, they've been in slavery 400 years. Can you imagine you're born, and from the moment you were born, you have been oppressed at times you've been beaten, we know that to be a fact. You have worked to the bone. It's kind of understandable that maybe you were doubting that there's a powerful God out there that is for you. 
God. And then you're living in Egyptian culture, so you hear about all these other gods, and you begin to wonder, well, maybe these gods are the God, maybe our God. I mean, if our God is the God, how can we be in slavery for 400 years? This doesn't, you could begin to see how they were beginning to doubt. The last piece that God's going to show us, he's going to show them, he says, he is. Power. And though we don't fully understand why God had them wait for so long, we know that all along the way, God had a plan through all of this. There's one last thing, and I'll, I'll do this quickly. There's one last piece that I think is very interesting. And again, this might fall a little more in the theory than not. But as God was unveiling these plagues, he was also deconstructing creation. This is really fascinating. Remember, the people of Israel would have known all about the creation story. They would have known that their God, the God, our God, was the one that created everything out of nothing. And so when they watch these plagues unfold, they are actually watching the deconstruction of creation. Watch this. Let me just give you a glimpse real quick. The first plague, it talks about the Nile, the water turning into blood. And when it says in this verse in 19, it says, The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt. That translation could be the gatherings of water. That's the same words that are used in Genesis 1.10. This is really cool. And then look at plague 2, 3, and 4. These talk about, remember, the frogs come out of the water, the gnats from the ground, and then the flies from the sky. Here's the thing. Though the animals or the bugs and all of that never actually got control of man. Remember, all animals were created for man to rule over and to be used for man. Y'all remember this? So even though the, these animals never got full control over the people, they were out of control and they were, uh, they were a menace to the humans. You see this? We're seeing a deconstruction, a reversal of creation. Plague 5. The animals that were once created for man were now what? Taken away, the death of all the livestock. Plague six, the boils. Now this one's a little bit of a stretch, but once the boils came on the priest of the Egyptian people, the priests were the only ones that could make sacrifices to gods like the God happy. And so when they got the boils, they were no longer considered clean. Therefore, they could no longer make a sacrifice to their gods. Therefore, Egypt became in a tailspin because they were stressing out that all of their gods were not getting the sacrifices they needed. And therefore, they were beginning to fall apart. A deconstruction of creation. And then the last two, seven and eight, the destruction of vegetation, which you know vegetation was created as man's food. And then finally in plague nine was darkness. And you remember how creation started. It started all the way back in the beginning when God spoke light into existence. Now that's again kind of a fun theory. But what it shows the people of Israel is that God is at work because only God could create all of this and only God could take it away. Now I know this has been an overview. You're kind of soaking all this in and maybe it's new, maybe it's a lot. But I want you to see the big picture here because this is really important. And here's what I want to close with. Pharaoh asks a question that you may be asking right now or that you may have asked in your life. Who is the Lord that I should hear his voice or that I should obey him? Listen, and this is for believers and non-believers. There's some of you here that never be, you haven't become a Christian yet. And I pray that maybe that will change tonight. But there's some of you that you've been Christians, but you just, you're not, you're not listening to God. You are not obeying God. You are not following God. He, he has no control over your life other than that he gave you fire insurance and you're not going to hell. 
Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And you may not actually say that, but your actions say that. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Here's the reality. Pharaoh kept denying God's request through Moses. And eventually Pharaoh stood face to face with God and will watch these plagues unfold. As God stands face to face with him and says, let me show you how powerful I am and how unpowerful you are. Listen, God, God does not want to meet you and I in the pit like he met Pharaoh. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want you to wait until your world's falling apart, falling apart until you finally cling on to God. But God loves you and I so much that he won't even wait for you to get to the pit. He'll create the pit for you. And no matter how much it hurts as you fall there, because he loves you, he will create a place for you to get to your rock bottom in life so that you might finally reach out and grab on to him. But that's not his desire. He doesn't want to meet you there. He wants to meet you on the mountaintop. Where you say, hey, here I am, God, my life hadn't fallen apart yet, and I'm going to give it all to you so it doesn't fall apart going forward. But sometimes we need the pit. Pharaoh didn't want the pit, he just didn't get it. And that could be some of our story too. But here's the thing about God, here's what's so amazing about our God. He doesn't just save you and I from eternity in hell, which is an amazing gift to be reunited with God in heaven. But that's not it. He doesn't just say, hey, do this, and then when you get to the end, it's going to be happy. No. While you're here on earth, start to walk with me and let me show you what it looks like to experience joy and peace. Now, is life perfect? You all know the answer because you're like, don't tell me I can tell you about six things right now that aren't going perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. But isn't it different when you're walking with the Lord versus when you're walking without him? And that's the beauty of our God. This is really cool. Tom Brady, how many of you know who that is? It's draft night, you know, so we'll throw a football story in here. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Stop, I don't want to hear your nonsense. Let's just roll with it for the story. Tom Brady, sitting on his bed in a hotel room, just won one of his Super Bowl. The dude's running out of fingers. Victoria's Secret supermodel wife in the bathroom getting ready to come to bed. Worth millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's telling an interview reporter one time that as he's sitting on that bed, he asked himself the question, is this it? All of that? Can't go anywhere without someone recognizing you. Now, obviously, that could be annoying, but, I mean, how many people, are you kidding me? You walk in a restaurant and everyone's like, there he is, that's him, like the greatest of all. He wasn't the greatest, but now he's standing in front of us. He's the greatest. Can you imagine? And he asked the question. He, listen, think about this. The question was so deep that he was willing to talk about it afterwards. That's important. Sitting on the bed saying, is this I'm in Cancun, we're sitting out by the pool, I'm watching these, <laughs> these guys, older generation, because everybody's in school apparently, they're out by the pool, and they're just drinking away, smoking their cigarettes, just having a good old time, one guy, this is for your benefit in the future of life, 
there's one guy, he's got a belly, I won't say a beer belly because I don't want to be mean and judgmental, but he's got a belly and I don't know how I got there, other than something. <laughs> In a speedo, has to be, has to be in his 60s. Huge food belly. Am I done? Wearing suspenders. <laughs> Folks, I can't make this up. I brought a picture. I'm just kidding. That would be so me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But here are these guys, and they're all, they're all guys in their 50s, 60s, drinking it up, smoking it up. And it was so, it was, I, I couldn't script this. There's someone talking on a microphone, and there's some music. They're trying to do some kind of game. And so the, the, the MC or whatever goes, are y'all having fun? Everyone's like, yeah. And then there's just dead silence after the question. And they all, they like don't know what to do. And so they just take another drink of their beer or whatever they were drinking. And, and I'm watching this and I go, oh, that right there, that is perfect. Because that's how the world's got a lot of people. You can say busy with a lot of noise and feel like things are okay, but as soon as the noise stops, that's when reality hits. And it was unbelievable. Guys, listen, football fans for the Tom Brady illustration, everybody else should just get the picture. Here's the reality. You can have all the money in the world, you can have all the power in the world. You can have all the fun in the world. But at the end of the day, if you don't have God, you have nothing. And what I don't want for you, okay, I don't want you to go through this life looking for something else to satisfy you everywhere you go, everything, every party, whatever it is. I don't want you to be in the pit. I don't want you to stand face-to-face -face with God where you're face-to-face -face with either a jail cell, some positive pregnancy test, or whatever it is. I don't want that to be the moment where you go, oh, God, uh, could you grab me now? It doesn't have to be that way. And God's telling you, I, I love you. And listen, I know this is for some of you that are not Christians, this is for you. But for those of you that are, listen, I'm telling you, too. There's an element of this that he's given us this great gift that we don't have to wait for happiness at the end, but we can experience joy if we just begin to walk with it. But some of you are still struggling with this same question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Or maybe better, listen, I know God, you think this is good for me, but I have a better plan. You ain't got a better plan. You can't create or uncreate anything. You have no power to turn water to blood. You have no power at all. But with God Almighty in your life, walking with you, he gives you the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the God that we serve. It's not some God we have to make unbelievable sacrifices to over and over and over again to hopefully get right with him. He says, all you have to do is extend your hand. I'll take you. I'll bring you home. And then we'll begin to walk anew. And this is yours. This is your gift for the taking. So I don't want you to struggle with this question. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Who is the Lord? He is the God, the only God. There is no other God. He is all powerful, more powerful than any other created or uncreated being you will ever encounter. He is the powerful one. And here's the kicker. He loves you. And you and I don't deserve it. 
loves you. And so the next time you face some problem that seems unbelievable, you just remember that this same God we've been talking about tonight is the same God that's walking with you. And if you find yourself in a pit and you want to blame God, stop blaming him and turn to him because he might have put you there. But it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he loves you and he wants to draw you home. That's the God we serve. The plagues, they're kind of scary. We'll look at them a little bit more in depth next week. See the beautiful symbolism behind them. But tonight I want you to see the big picture. God will do anything for his people.